Well, good morning. Welcome to Gospel City Church. Great to see you here today. <clears throat> Great to sing with you. And as you can tell, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in the building. And so excited for the Christmas season. And uh, we are beginning a new series today uh, called His Name Shall Be. And our pastors will help us over the next several weeks leading up to Christmas Eve as we look at the names given to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9. So I want you to go ahead and we'll start there. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 and we'll kind of allow verses 6 and 7 to be our starting point each week of this series and we will hone in on a specific name. So I want to encourage you as the people of God, Gospel City Church, go ahead and, and meditate on Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7 throughout this season and allow it to lead you to focus your heart on Christ uh, for Christmas. But uh, something else that I'm really excited about are these devotionals that you got when you came in the door, or if you didn't get one, grab one or two on your way out. You can give it to a friend, maybe walk with a coworker through it. Uh, but this is all in-house made, and so excited about that. Several from our congregation and on our staff contributed, but there are devotionals for each day of the Advent week leading up to Christmas, and on Mondays and Fridays, there's prayer points and praise points so that you can pray, and then on um, Wednesdays, there's a carol in there that you can sing as a family or you can meditate on the lyrics of that hymn and a little bit of history. And so really excited about these Advent devotionals. We'll talk a little more about Advent in just a moment. But as we get started this morning, let's allow God's word to speak over us. And let's get our eyes on a copy of Isaiah chapter 9. I'll read verses 6 and 7 and pray and we will begin together. Now hear the word of the Lord. For to us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts We'll do this. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we center our hearts on Jesus Christ as we enter the Advent season, the Christmas season. And Lord, we understand that there are so many distractions that this world has to offer us, so many things that would try to pull our attention away from the main thing. But Lord, we this morning uh, want to center ourselves on Jesus, the center of unbroken praise. Lord, you are high and lifted up and you came so many years ago and you rose again from the dead and you are seated on high. We just sang so many songs of your victory. Lord, that's where we want to center our hopes and our anticipation this Christmas season. And so would you help us uh, to not be distracted by the things of this world, but to hold fast to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We remember what Christ did when he came and we anticipate that he will come again. Guide us even today as we look to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Now, as we get started, we're going to look at Jesus the Messiah as the wonderful counselor today, and then we'll also look at uh, the first week of Advent, which is hope. I don't know if you uh, observed Advent as a family growing up. I did not. That was not a word that I was really super familiar with. It's become more popular in, uh, you know, Protestant churches or some of our churches in these day and ages. And it's really not a biblical word, but here's a, a definition for Advent. Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. So you can imagine for a believer, you know, we are anticipating the arrival of King Jesus at Christmas time. So many other things could grab your attention, but we want to focus on the advent of Jesus, the fact that he came and the fact that he will come again. So in my house, we have an advent wreath that looks a little bit like this one. And uh, it's prettier. My wife makes it prettier. And it's got five candles. So you got a candle for hope and for joy and for love and for peace. And the center candle represents Jesus. And uh, a phenomena kind of happens in my house when we you know, we light one candle to start on the first day of each week. So each Sunday leading up to Christmas, and then you'll light the Jesus candle on Christmas day. How many of you do Advent somewhere similar like this in your house? Anybody? Oh man, I am weird. That's funny. Well, if you want to do it, it's kind of fun, but here's what happens. So my kids, my kids get excited about it. And they're like, they, they always are asking my wife, is it time to light the next candle? Is it time to light the next candle? And it creates sort of this anticipation that every night as we do family worship and as we read a devotional and as we light a candle and we sing a carol, those kinds of things, uh, it's leading toward a progression where we will eventually get to the big candle. That's Jesus. And that's the emotion that we as believers, that's a, a, an appropriate emotion to accompany uh, the Advent season or the Christmas season for the believer because we're waiting for something. We're longing for something to happen. And so I know you don't like candles in your house, but I like candles here at this church. And so I'm going to light the hope candle and I'm going to pray it stays lit because the last service it didn't. And, uh, and, and so the hope candle's going on. Here's the big idea that we want to look at today. Christian hope is future faith in what the wonderful counselor has done and will do. Christian hope is future faith in what the wonderful counselor has done and will do. So I don't know about you, but in my family, when the traditions start, that's when the hoping starts around the Christmas season. And you probably noticed they tried to bring in Christmas early this year. So some of you have been on the Christmas music train since October, and that's just messed up. My wife and I have fought to try to be the holiday purists that Pastor Tyler Holder talked about several years ago. So we saved the Christmas music for this past Friday when we drove home from Tennessee and we listened to Christmas music. And this is the weekend that we would typically bust out the Christmas decorations. I went into Walmart the day after Halloween and it looked like Christmas had thrown up inside of Walmart. And I'm just like, how is this happening? Uh, but, and then I wrote in my, I wrote in my notes that, uh, when the Clutonati family goes and gets our Christmas tree, and I put in my notes that yesterday we went to get that. That didn't happen because some unforeseen things, the Grinch dropped off sickness at my house. So we weren't able to go get our Christmas tree. But typically when the Clutonati family goes and gets their tree the day or two after Thanksgiving, that's when my kids start to hope that Christmas is coming. Maybe it's the same for you. You start to hope 
uh, that Christmas is coming, you start to hope that you'll get certain gifts or you'll be able to give certain gifts. Maybe you hope that you'll get to see family and friends. Some of you probably hope you don't have to see family and friends at all. And you can keep that between you and the Lord. Uh, But life is full of moments and events that get our hopes up, aren't they? Our hopes are constantly up. So let me give you just a basic definition for hope. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Pretty elementary, a feeling or expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. But that's exactly why I think our hopes are constantly up as human beings. Because as humans, we have a lot of desires, we have a lot of expectations, and I would suggest that we are always hoping for something. Therefore, we are often left feeling hopeless because it doesn't take long for this life to let us know that life will not go our way. The world that we live in is broken. The world is full of heartache. This world is full of sickness and disease and death and the world is full of evil and hatred and idolatry. And so the question this morning is this, where do you turn when life lets you know that all of your temporal hopes will not be fulfilled in this life? Commercialized Christmas is sure to let you down. And the gadget that you wanted this year, it will be outdated next year and it will let you down. And the most wonderful time of the year will quickly let you know that it's not so wonderful. And so that's where Christian hope comes in. Christian hope is tied to something so much more wonderful than a holiday. In fact, Isaiah 9 points us to someone who is not only wonderful, but he is the wonderful counselor. Now I want to give you what I think is is the difference between Christian hope and worldly hope. So it's on the screens. Christian hope is rooted in certainty, not desire. Christian hope is rooted in certainty, not desire. So you might say, I hope that I get this really great gift for Christmas. That's rooted in your desire. I hope that I get to see my family and friends this Christmas season. That's rooted in desire. But for the believer, we can say, I hope in a savior who came and who died and who rose again and who promises to come again. And so my hope in Jesus is certain. My hope in Jesus is sure. No matter what this world has to offer, no matter what circumstances come your way, you can always have hope if it's Christian hope because Christian hope is rooted in the Savior whose promises always come true. It's the difference between worldly hope and Christian hope. I promise that worldly hope will disappoint you, but Christian hope promises to come to pass. Worldly hope will leave you hopeless, but Christian hope should leave you anticipating what is sure to happen. Worldly hope will underdeliver. But Christian hope, I promise, it's going to over-deliver in our lives. Because Christian hope is future faith in what the wonderful counselor has done and will do. So let me show you from Isaiah chapter 6, 7, 8, 9 a little bit. I got to get a little historical. I'm not really going verse by verse 
uh, today so much. And so just bear with me, but I was digging into the history and the context of Isaiah chapter nine when he gives this prophecy. And I think it helps us understand worldly hope versus Christian hope, okay? I would venture to say that King Ahaz had some more immediate hopes in his mind than the hope of a child or baby being born in the unforeseeable future. Okay, so Isaiah gives this prophecy in Isaiah chapter nine, seven centuries before Jesus was ever born. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah is talking about a child that would be given, a son that would be born, whose name would be called Wonderful Counselor. So King Ahaz was at the time the king of Judah. He was not a God-fearing king. He did not follow Yahweh. Rather, he put his hope in the gods and the nations that were surrounding Israel. So 2 Kings 16.3 says this about King Ahaz. It characterized him as a wicked man who walked in the way of the kings of Israel. But like any human being, God-fearing or not, Ahaz had hope that his kingdom would withstand the political unrest of the day. Ahaz feared Israel and Syria, which were to the north, and they had planned to overthrow the kingdom of Judah and come and attack, and Ahaz was fearing that his kingdom was coming to an end. You think that we live in political unrest and discord today? They lived in political unrest in the day of Isaiah. So all of this discord was between the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, the kingdom of Israel were the 10 tribes north of Jerusalem. The kingdom of Judah was Jerusalem on down and south, and that's where Ahaz was king. But even with all of that unrest and that fighting between these kingdoms that were supposed to be united, the Assyrian empire posed an even greater threat, much more power, much stronger, and they had planned to come and overthrow all of these kingdoms and take all of them Captive, And so Israel wanted to form an alliance with King Judah and Ahaz said, nope, not going to do that. Not going to align with God's people. I'm going to do it my way. And in fact, King Ahaz sends a letter to align with the evil empire of Assyria. In 2 Kings verses 16, we see that Ahaz took the silver and gold from the house of the Lord and they sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. Not a great move, taking God's offerings, sending it to the evil king of Assyria, but this quickly led to the king of Assyria wiping out Syria and killing their king. And it's in this political unrest that the prophet Isaiah is sent to King Ahaz. Isaiah had a hard job. You remember in Isaiah chapter six, he goes before the Lord, the throne room of God, the seraphim and the angels, and he says, woe is me, and they touch his lips with a hot coal. And then what's he say? He says, here am I, send me. And God says, I'm gonna send you Isaiah, and where I'm sending you is not an easy task. Where you're going, they won't wanna listen to what you have to say. They won't care a whole lot about the message that you bring. Cities are going to lie in waste and cities will lie in ruin. But you need to go. You need to speak on my behalf. And Isaiah, in his obedience, he goes. And he first goes to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7. And his prophecy to King Ahaz comes in three folds. So first, he says this, the northern kingdom, Syria and Israel, 
will be destroyed and no longer a threat, King Ahaz, if you have faith. So King Ahaz, I know you're fearing that they're gonna attack and take over your throne and your kingdom, but you don't have to fear. They're gonna be overthrown if you have faith. But if you will not have faith in Yahweh, then it will be a disaster. It will be your destruction. Do it God's way, things go well. Do it your way, things aren't gonna go so well. Well, King Ahaz wanted to do it his way. The second form of prophecy that Isaiah gives to King Ahaz is this. Isaiah promises Ahaz that a child would be born who would be called Emmanuel. Look back in your Bible at chapter 7, verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 14. And I just want you to see the specificity of Isaiah's words from the throne room of God. God has a plan. And God is sending his plan through Isaiah. And he says in chapter seven, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is a great word at Christmas time. It means God with us, but it supports Isaiah's message that the fate of the kingdom of Judah was ultimately in the hands of God. King Ahaz, God's got this whole thing. God will be with you. God has a plan. He's sending Emmanuel, a son. It will be born of a virgin. And at this time, King Ahaz, you can imagine, he's like, How is this helping me now? I have things going on. I have a kingdom to protect. I want to rule and reign. I don't need a God outside telling me to wait or to do things his way. I want to do things my way. And so the third prophecy that Isaiah gives, you kind of read about it in Isaiah chapter eight, but Isaiah prophesies that Assyria, the evil empire, would come to ruin in chapter eight, that the spoils of Syria and Israel would be taken from the king of Assyria by God. So God was sending Isaiah to King Ahaz and God was foretelling King Ahaz that if he followed him, he would succeed. But King Ahaz had worldly hope rather than Christian hope. Ahaz's hope was tied to what he desired to see happen now. I got a kingdom to run. I got plans. I wanna succeed. I want to rule and reign. I'm gonna do things my way. Isaiah's hope or Ahaz's hope was tied to what he desired to see happen. Isaiah's hope was tied to what was certain to happen. And that leads to perhaps one of the greatest prophecies in all of the Bible. I want you to hear it again. Written 700 years before Jesus ever came. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. King Ahaz needed to have future faith. Future faith in what his God said would come to pass. How much more can you and I have future faith in all that Jesus has said and done because of what he has already come and done. In Matthew, we see the fulfillment of this child just as Isaiah said, Matthew 1, 21 through 23. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The New Testament fulfills the prophecy of the Old Testament. Therefore, believers hope in what the Bible tells us is certain to happen. This is Christian hope, future faith in what God has said will come to pass. Now, let's kind of focus in on this name, the Wonderful Counselor, because that's the first name that Isaiah gives about this child, this son that would be born and the government would be upon his shoulders. Each of the names in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 say so much more than our English language allows them to. So in the Hebrew language, uh, you know, they may have five words for our one English word. So often you got to do a little digging to kind of get the grand picture of what's trying to be communicated in the original language. So upon face value, you might look at the name Wonderful Counselor and just assume that Jesus is a really good counselor. Like Jesus is really good at helping you with your problems and Jesus is really good at listening and Jesus is able to diagnose your current issue. I'm not sure what you think of when you think of a counselor. I think of like the guy who's laying on a couch and just saying all of his circumstances into the air and then the counselor is sitting on a recliner with his leg crossed and maybe a notepad and he's wearing like spectacles of some kind and he's just listening, right? And writing down, jotting things down and then he's got some advice for you. A counselor uh, in our day and age is defined like this, a person trained to give guidance on personal, social, or psychological problems. But What the Bible's talking about with Jesus, he's not so much concerned with your life here right now. He wants to redeem it for something better. He wants to change it for a future that he is creating. So the word wonderful counselor in the Bible uh, says it this way. Wonderful counselor in the Hebrew language is Pele Yawetz. Okay, that's the, the Hebrew word for wonderful counselor, Pele Yawetz. And the first thing to note about this name is that both of these words are nouns. These are both nouns. Wonderful is not an adjective describing how Jesus counsels. Jesus is the wonderful. So the Hebrew word pele, which means wonderful, is used in the Bible of things that are unusual and beyond the capability of man. It speaks often of of mysterious things or difficult things. This word is only ever used for God's deeds and words, never for man's accomplishments. So at times in the Bible, that describes something among men that is out of the ordinary or beyond explanation, but most often the word Pele is describing some super, something supernatural that could only come from God. So you may have had wonderful turkey on Thanksgiving. And you may have wonderful holiday traditions in your home. Your home may look wonderful as you've decorated for Christmas. But only Jesus is Pele in the Hebrew sense. He's on another stratosphere when it comes to the word wonderful. He is full of wonder. He causes us to stand back and to stand in awe. This is this baby, this son that would be given. It's mind-blowing. It's too great for us to comprehend. And as Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz, he's probably like, that sounds great, but I need some Pele right now in my problem. 
And he's pointing to someone who is to come that is out of this world and the government will be upon his shoulders. So in particular, this word, it's used 13 times as a noun in the Bible. And each time that it's used, it refers to either the exile, it refers to the Davidic promises, it refers to the Lord's counsel, or Isaiah ties it to the miracle of changing the sinner's heart. So the greatest miracle of all time that God takes a dead, hard-hearted sinner and removes his heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh so that Jesus Christ himself can renovate that heart and live inside of it, that is Pele. That is wonderful. And that very concept is all seen in the person of Jesus who was to come. And Isaiah is prophesying of someone that sounds out of this world. A child is going to be born. A son would be given that word given's important. He wasn't born of man and woman. He was given by God. And the government will be upon this child's shoulder. All of this political unrest, all of this chaos in the world that's going on, it will be settled. It will be held together. It will be finished by this child who is Pele. Not the soccer player. I know some of you are there. So if your King Ahaz and you've got some immediate hopes on your ki- of your kingdom not being destroyed, you're probably wondering how is this baby going to take care of my problems? No thanks, I'm gonna do things my way rather than God's way because I have immediate hopes to take care of and I think that that's how life goes for us as human beings often. God's way of salvation seems absolutely too good to be true, yet he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Christian hope is trusting in what the Pele Yawets promised to do, proved to do, and promises to come and do in the future. That's where our hope has to reside, in the wonderful truth that Jesus came and he will come again. And so we have hope no matter what the circumstances are going on. But not only is Jesus the wonderful He is the perfect counselor. He is the out of this world, supernatural counselor from God. He will listen to you. Jesus will quiet you with his love. Jesus wants to guide you in this life step by step by step. He will show you the way because he is the way. And Jesus, he wants to diagnose your greatest problem because Jesus, he sees your heart. He knows your heart. And he wants to reveal the wickedness of your heart so that you might repent and believe and fall into the wonderful counselor. But Jesus is the counselor that isn't as concerned with your best life now. And that's often what we're looking for whenever we go and find counseling or help of some kind in this life. We're looking often for quick fixes to our earthly problems so that we can love ourselves or so that we can be proud of who we are, so that we can pat ourselves on the back for our accomplishments or we can find relief from the pain that's been taken from our mental capacity. And just hear me this morning, there are very necessary things to pursue counseling help in. I know that there are people who who have walked through really painful things and traumatic things and, and you've found help in pursuing a counselor. I'm very thankful for Pastor Nathan 
and his ministry. He's building up counselors here at our church and we have biblical soul care, biblical counseling. And so what they do is they hear and listen the same way a counselor does, but we go to the word of God first and we try to diagnose what God says about the human heart and what the gospel says. And often people give their life to Christ in counseling sessions because they came seeking temporal advice and they got eternal advice and it opened up their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is able to save you for eternity, but also bring your earthly problems into view and into focus. I don't know what your experience has been with counseling and there are certainly um, places that we need to go sometimes, but I contend that Jesus is wonderful enough to help you with your greatest problems and lead you to an abundant life. And so that's why we can turn to Jesus. God, Jesus can take whatever you want to give to him. Jesus can take Whatever you need to pour out on him, it says cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Now, here's what I want you to do as we kind of try to land the plane on this sermon. I want you to turn to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and go to Hebrews 4, and we'll look at 14 through 16 to start. We're going to kind of skim our way quickly through Hebrews. Um, I want to give you three ways to hope in the wonderful counselor this Christmas as we close. Three ways to hope in the wonderful counselor. And the first way is this, take every weakness to Jesus. Take every weakness to Jesus. The Bible doesn't speak a whole lot about counselors, at least in the way that we think of them in our day and age. Uh, but it does speak of high priests who spoke to God on behalf of the people. So you think about a high priest in Judaism who spoke to God on behalf of the people. A high priest needed to listen and care for people well. A high priest needed to feel what the people felt. A high priest needed to hurt with hurting people. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. The writer writes this, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy to find grace to help in time of need. Throw that first point back up for people. So the first point, take every weakness to Jesus. Take every weakness to Jesus because Jesus is our high priest. Because he was born as a baby and because he had a human upbringing, Jesus is very aware of the pain and the trauma and the disappointment and the suffering that is brought on by a world like ours. In every respect, Jesus himself was tempted and tried just as you and I, but he was without sin. What's better than a counselor that can listen? What's better than a counselor that can hurt with you? 
What's better than a counselor that can sympathize or empathize with your pain? A counselor that can do all of that, yet never gave in to any of the sin that this world has to offer. A counselor who came here and felt the same tugs toward the sinfulness of this world, and yet he withstood them all and lived a perfect, sinless life. Life That is Jesus Christ. And he wants to be your high priest. So he can take anything that you take to him. All of your weakness, all of your pain, all of the things that you might be embarrassed of. Jesus stands between you and God in perfection. And he all opens his hands to you. And because of the cross, he says, come to me. Lay it on me. Bring it all to me. And he'll empathize with you, he'll sympathize with you, he'll lead you toward everlasting life. And so just as you take your problems to a counselor, take your pain, take your suffering, take your circumstances, take your hurt, take your embarrassment, take your shame to Jesus. He's perfect and he's loving and he's there to listen. And because he stands between you and God, You don't need anyone. You don't need a priest on this earth anymore because of the cross and Christ's sacrifice of his innocent, perfect, precious life. And because he rose again from the dead and is seated on high, when you take your problems to him, he offers them to God and God doesn't look at you and see a sinner. God doesn't look at you and see your wounds. God doesn't look at you and see your pain. God looks at you and sees his beloved son who took it all and who was nailed to a cross in your place for your sins. That's a beautiful thing about the wonderful counselor who came so many years ago. So take your weakness to Jesus. Number two though, obey the example and counsel of Jesus. Obey the example and counsel from the wonderful counselor. It does no good to have a counselor and to not follow his or her counsel. So many people will go and get counseling and they'll get advice and they'll get steps toward walking a better life and yet you walk away and you don't obey. You don't follow what the counsel that you've been given. Look at Hebrews 5, 7 through 10. Maybe turn a page in your Bible. 5, 7 through 10. In the days of his flesh. So that's wonderful confirmation that Jesus himself had days in his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Does it encourage you that Jesus had loud cries and tears that he offered up to God that speaks of his humanness? The creator of the universe here on this earth crying out to God for help. That should encourage you today. To him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence, verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Amazing verse. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the source of eternal life to all who obey him. Not just recite the right words, not just recite the counsel that was given. Those who obey him just as he obeyed his father as he walked on this earth. This is why his counsel is so much more wonderful than anything temporal. Through Jesus, you have hope in what is certain and not 
desired. So you got to ask the question, what counsel should I obey? What is the counsel of Jesus? And some of the best counseling advice Jesus ever gave. It's all through the gospels, his time on earth. But here's three. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me deny the things of this world. Let me deny my own desires, my greatest hopes on this earth. Let me set them aside so that I might follow Christ and hope in him alone. That's his counsel. Are you willing to obey? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want a relationship with the God of glory? Then you have to go through the wonderful counselor who knows your heart, who sees your pain, and who wants to renovate it into his home like we talked about last week. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus' counsel goes on and on, and it has to do with you giving up your rights to follow him. You giving up the passions and desires of your flesh to follow him. Yes, life is hard. Yes, trials and tribulations come but you will learn obedience through the suffering of this world and it is making you perfect so that one day you will stand before him in all of his perfection. Why didn't Jesus come the first time and just take us all back to heaven? Because he's the only one perfect enough to be there. He had to do something in our hearts and in our lives so that he could prepare us for the eternal weight of glory that awaits us in Christ when he comes again. God is doing something in you here and now and you should be anxiously waiting for his return. That is the emotion of Advent. That is the emotion of Christmas as we long and wait for his return. It's giving up your control of the world, knowing that he has the keys to a better world, a perfect kingdom, and his counsel is so wonderful that it gives you a new heart that will give you access into his kingdom. And number three this morning, third way, to hope in the wonderful counselor, anticipate the promised arrival of Jesus. Anticipate the promised arrival of Jesus. Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And for the believer, we long and we wait and we anticipate and we hope in the certain arrival of King Jesus who will come not like a lamb, but like a lion, like a conquering king to gather all of us who are in Christ into his body. I want you to look at Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Flip a couple pages. Look back one page at chapter nine, verse 27 and 28. I woke up to a, a text from Mitch, Pastor Mitch this morning when my power went out at 6 a.m. <laughs> and the text said, I read your last point. You should check out chapter 9, verse 28. I was like, you're right, that's better. So chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, verse 28 of chapter 9. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's Christmas eagerly waiting for him 
That's Christmas, eagerly waiting for Jesus. Now look at chapter 10, verse 23. Let us then hold fast to our confession of hope. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's Christian hope. It's certain to happen without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, future faith in what the faithful one will do. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works through this season. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day that Jesus Christ will return. That is what we are waiting for. That is what we are longing for. That is what we are putting our hope in. No matter what this world offers, our hope is set in eternity and Jesus will come again. So Christmas filled with all sorts of fun traditions. Yes, it's fun to give gifts and get gifts. Yeah, it's fun to see family and friends, but commercialized Christmas will absolutely let you down. So man, get your hopes up and get your anticipation up because you never know the day or the hour when the wonderful counselor will arrive again, but you can be sure, be sure that he will come. Let's stand to our feet. I'm gonna go out singing a hymn and just setting our hearts on Jesus as we await his arrival. Let's pray together. Father, we give you glory and honor and praise. And Lord, we thank you for the promises of Isaiah that came true so many years ago, 2,000 years ago. You, the God who created the world, Jesus Christ, came to our broken world. You were born in a manger. There was no room for you. Meek and mild, lowly, humble. And yet, God, you've given us a picture in Christ of what serving the world looks like. You gave us a picture of not a high and conquering king. We know that he is that, but you gave us the precious, wonderful counselor who came to bear with us and to seek and save us when we were lost, to be a friend of sinners. And so Lord, as we step into this Christmas season, would you help our hearts and our minds to be saturated on Jesus Christ? Would you help us to be focused on the hope that is sure and certain to happen because of what Christ has done? Would you help us as parents and as grandparents to point our kids toward the real meaning of Christmas? Would you help us to make our homes and the evenings in our homes a place where we set our minds on Christ and anticipate the coming of Jesus? Would you help us to open the word and to sing truths about God in those spaces? And would it all build an anticipation and a an hope for the wonderful counselor to come again? God, how we long for you, we wait for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, let's sing this.